Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show, where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow us on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me, as always, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and is wondering how the NFC South went from having the three teams in the playoffs to the worst division in football. I mean, I remember a, hello, Nikki, how are you? Thank you. That's our, we're, we're introducing ourselves. I remember when, like, before the season started, it was like, man, the NFC South is like, I mean, that is a juggernaut. Like, you've got Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, like this team, this, I mean, they might have like three, 10 and six teams. Then obviously the Panthers are going to be really bad. Like we know that. And then, I mean, while I was watching that Saints game on Monday night and boy, howdy, um, like Drew Brees got real old fast. And then even watching the Panthers Bucks game, it's like, are, are the Bucks good? And then it's like watching the Falcons game. It's like, I mean, that was probably like the biggest lead they've ever blown, right? Like they've never had like blow. I mean, they're up twenty-one nothing, and then it's like they they're doing an onside kick. They're they're up by fifteen in the fourth. Like that. I mean, that's got to be like one of one of not even one of the most devastating loss in Atlanta Falcons history. Like hashtag never forget. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm 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 not a great rememberer, but like that's got to be top one on the list. Uh, Are if we you're the a NFC fan. mediocre division? Is that what you would call it? Is this... <laughs> yeah, the NFC middle. <laughs> We're just going to change the name for everybody. Let's bring on our uh, other bestie, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report, and has been devising ways to take the kickers out of football. I am here for this. Uh, this is a platform I think can unite people in 2020. You have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in basketball. You have Wayne Gretzky in hockey. You have Ricky Henderson in baseball. And you got Adam Vinatieri in NFL football. It's time to get the kickers out of our lives. Be done with it. I'm tired of, I'm tired of just getting angry at you. It is true, though. Like, there's no – I mean, I guess there's really only one kicker in the league that uh, their fan that, – that their team's fan base absolutely loves – um, and he, he, he shall not be named in Carolina. Um, but like for the most part, don't most teams fan bases hate their kicker because all they do is remember the misses. Like you don't remember the, you don't remember the wins. It's like, I mean, all, all you remember is like missed extra point or like, Oh, I missed that kick against Denver in the opener. And like, Oh, I missed that kick in the Super Bowl, And like, Oh, I kicked the ball out of bounds. Like I'm not, I'm not anybody in particular i'm just using examples hypothetically and and just from a from a what we've seen as viewers of the game is kicking going to top what we saw in chicago where you see the ball hit the upright three times i feel like that's kicking jumping the shark there's nothing left what else is there for kicking to do in the game just go away already Where's the, you know what I love is that, I, and I, I actually don't know, and, and you may, there may be an answer to this and I'll just be like, oh, okay. Um, is there, is the guy, is there a kicker in the league right now that is like the Sebastian Janikowski of the league? But, and follow-up question, is Sebastian Janikowski still in the league? Um, is where it's like, where they're at like their own 40 and there's two seconds left in the half. They're like, well, I mean, Seabass was hitting them from 80 in pregame. Like, 
like just a guy that they're just like, well, I mean, it's Greg the Leg. You could just roll him out. Is it Greg the Leg? That's the answer, right? Greg or, the Leg. Or the guy for the Chiefs. I forget his name. I, I've never seen him before in my entire life. They hit from 53, 58, and 58 yards at the end of the game to pull out a, a victory against the Chargers. I don't. I, I, I don't. No, I don't. Look, that that doesn't good, look like anything to me. <laughs> there's two good kickers in the last 20 years. It's it's Tucker in Baltimore and it's Vinatieri in in New England. Everybody else is just a bum that you're thankful did the job in that particular moment, or you curse him because he didn't. <laughs> That's fair. You're not I mean, wrong. Fair. Yeah. By the way, t- uh, the scoring where where the position players Emmett Smith 55th on the all time scoring list. The only guy to crack a thousand points in the NFL. Also, um, if you – that's a good nugget. Uh, that's also, a good nugget. if you um, – if you're a kicker, you either, like – you either die the hero or you live long enough to miss a kick – to kick the ball out of bounds in the Super Bowl. Like, those are the only two things. Like, like, for the long – for the entirety of their franchise, John Casey was the best play – was the – I mean, you call them the Carolina Caseys for a reason. And then all He's the – He's a top stuff, 10 scorer in – He's a top ten scorer in NFL history. Yeah, and and you know what? You know what? Ask ask a Panthers fan what they remember about John Casey. If What's your words favorite John out Casey? of bounds yeah. and Super Bowl aren't in the first sentence, you could punch me in the face. I mean, if you could watch a Smitty highlight reel, a Peppers highlight reel, or a John Casey highlight reel, where are you going? I mean, he's probably. I mean, I'd rather. Can we put a poll up? Can we put a poll up? Yeah, you know what? Call call in if you're listening. Uh, 704-570. As you can tell, we're really good at podcasting. Yep, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, on the one-day contract this week is the Athletics Joe Person. He's going to join us here in a little bit. But first, a little bit of nonsense because it is, it is us. You Was know. that not what we were just doing? <laughs> well, even more nonsense. Um, we're going to start with Nikki's super important question. With fall officially here and the Panthers 0-2, and, and it's, it, it may be a, a rough ride the rest of this season, give everybody a great uh, seasonal fall beer or beverage that they can uh, help get them through the rest of this season. I know you got one. Colin's so mad. Was it two years ago that you and you and Bill yelled at each other about pumpkin people? Man, it's it's been a good it's been a good run. Look, it's it's six more months and the court order subsides, so I'm just sitting this one out. Okay, that's fine. I'm glad to tell you that. um, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I went to I don't remember how long ago this was. Probably ten years ago. I went for a work trip to Chicago, Illinois. And I sat down at a bar uh, at the hotel where I had my corporate card and I was ready to have some beers. And um, I said to the bartender, and it was like, it was October, solidly in October, which I think Colin would be okay with. And I said, you know what, give me a, give me a nice like pumpkin-y fall beer. And he pulled this beer out of the fridge and it came in one of the big bottles, like one of the big, one of the bombers and uh, had had a jack-o'-lantern on the front bright orange label and I said to myself and he poured it for me and I took a sip of it and I said this is immediately the best beer that I've ever had in my entire life this is my new favorite beer um and it was Southern Tears Pum King and I will tell you I feel like at this point 
it's like a basic answer. Like everybody now knows pumpkin, but at what, at that point it had not come to the South. You couldn't get it in North Carolina. Couldn't get it in Denver where I was living at the time or Savannah or wherever I was living. I don't know, but it was not around. And it was like, this is unbelievable. And then now that it's like at the store and uh, brewers at Yancey is right there, it's not quite as exciting, but you know what? Pumpkin, if you're listening, um, send me a free case. I would argue that it is just as exciting because now they make a bunch of different variations of it. Like one's like a, a nitro cold brew that they do with it and whatnot. So mm, that sounds great. I think Colin's head's going to explode. <laughs> sounds wonderful. You okay? Just, I'm just, I was really hoping you're going to list off all of the pumpkin options <laughs> in that moment. Heineken comes in the green bottle. That's what their ads say. <laughs> Colin, it doesn't have to be something fall-like to get you through all this. You can name something else. There should be more ways to get Curtis Samuel the ball than there are pumpkin beers, okay? <laughs> That's I mean, fair. you got to get the ball in the playmaker's hands. Jeremy Chin, Alex Arma, like these guys need the ball in their hands. Okay, can we, before we get on Joe's uh, series, the beat reporter, uh, I think, you know, the, uh, does he get a crown, like a head honcho? What is, what does the senior get? Like, is, what does he he's get? He's certainly at the, get at a jacket? The, yeah, he's at the, he holds the belt for Panthers beat writer at the time and probably will hold it for a little while until he decides to uh, retire or has a loser leaves town match with um, uh, Miles Simmons. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I won't subject Joe to, to this nonsense, but I really felt like that, that fourth town call combined with the fact that we now know Christian McCaffrey is getting shut down for at least a month, uh, that felt like active tanking to me. It really felt like active tanking when you have this talented offense on that side of the field to the point and you go, oh, we're just going to give up and we're going to run it with a defensive player rather than uh, – this is two fourth downs after we see, uh, you know, Rule come out after the last game, say what he says about this is my call, this is my decision, fourth down, da 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 and then you have it, and you, you your fourth down decision is to give it to a defensive player. I, I'm sorry, like that. It feels feels intentional. I think it was intentionally bad coaching. Like I think that I don't think that. No, no, no. no let me re, let me rephrase that because that came out wrong. I because it sounds like you were agreeing with me completely, which would have been awesome. No, no. Obviously, we can't do that. That's not that kind of a show. Uh, he, I don't think he was, I don't think they were, he was intentionally like, well, how, what can I do to not pick up this yard? But I do think that it was a bad coaching decision. And I think that those are the kind of mistakes that he has now made two weeks in a row. If, if he's going to take credit for both of those, um, which he will, and he should, um, those are now two bad decisions, two weeks in a row of the exact same variety. And I know one was Alex Arma, one was Jeremy Chin, and one was a fake punt, one was blah, 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 whatever. It's literally the, okay, fourth and short, and I'm going to, A, obviously go for it and not use uh, and not use a good tempo. Because, I again, same thing as I said after week one. If it's third and one and you don't pick it up, if you run Mike Davis in the line on third and three, then you need to run up to the line and, run, and hand it back to him or hand it to Chris or do – I mean, I would say hand it to Christian on fourth and one, but I, what do I know? So I just, I just don't understand how you say that after the game and it mean anything, and then you come back a week later in the exact same situation, and your solution is to take it out of your gifted offensive coordinator's hands, take it out of your, your quarterback's hands, take it out of your offense's hands, and put it 
in a rookie defensive player's hands that's not even a ball carrier? That- what? It's just – it's like one of those things where it's like when you run it in practice, you're like, man, I'm telling you what, bro, we hand this thing to Jeremy Chin and he runs 40 yards for a touchdown. Like we're going to – I mean, imagine – and then it's like, oh, boy, no. You also, when you're going to run a fake punt, don't run up and down, don't lift up your face shield and run up and down the line yelling at everybody trying to pump them up. That's not what you do when you're punting. And it would have been from 40 yards because they were within Sly's range potentially. Yeah, it was just one of those things where it was like as soon as they came out to – like I just – when it was third and three and, and they got the stop, um, I was just, I just kind of looked away. Like I started looking at my phone cause I was like, they're going to go for this. So I have 45 seconds until they snap the ball and, and this is going to be exciting. And then all of a sudden the punt team's on there and I'm like, they're not going to punt this. And then I kind of turned to somebody and said, are they going to punt this? This seems crazy. And then they were faking it. And it's like, yeah, like I, if I saw it and if Nikki saw it and if the radio crew saw it and you saw it and everybody else saw it, I, Todd Bowles knew it. Bruce Arians knew it. The whoever, they, didn't need, they didn't need coaches out there for the for the Bucks to know it. It was like one of those things where you're playing when you're when you're playing Madden and you're uh, and like somebody somebody brings the punt team out and you're like four three like you call your regular defense because you know for a fact that they're faking the punt. That's what they were doing. Or it's like if there's like a, a trick play in some kind of weird formation, you're like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out, and then it just caves in on itself, and you're like, oh. That it doesn't work. That's why. Yeah. That's why we don't see this. That's why. Yeah. The Philly option doesn't work in Madden because it's because computer defenses don't go for it. I, I just that that play and I, and I put it squarely on rule. I, I that play is I was so frustrated with that one. And I know that every I know that everybody was, but just coming off the the week and the comments that you make, and it's like. Was that the generic play? Was that the, well, if we get in a fourth down and we go for it, this is what we're going to do? I don't know. It just – nothing good came out of that play. No, nothing good. Uh, I think that they um, – yeah. I mean, I said it last week. I'll say it again. I'm going to say it for another two weeks. And then after week four is when I'm going to really start to uh, crush him. But for right now, I'm just not going to crush him because this is his second week coaching in the NFL – and you make mistakes, and I know they do, and they will admit it. And if he turns out to be the winningest coach in Panthers history, he's going to say in five years, he's going to say, you know what, when I was a rookie head coach, I made some mistakes my first month, and I learned from them, and I learned that, you know, when you're going to run a fake punt, you need to, you need, it needs to be a surprise. You can't just run people out there. Or, you know, I, I need to be a little bit like, these are the kind of things that he can learn, and they all can learn. Joe Brady can learn it, Phil Snow. Is an old dog, but he might be able to learn some new tricks, maybe. Uh, but, like, they have to learn it. But I'm going to – these first four games, I, I will be critical, but I'm also going to give them a pass on all this stuff because it's just too early to judge them on, like, well, like, I, the play calling, like, all this – like, this stuff is just – there are a couple things I feel like you can judge, but some things I think you do have to give them a little bit of a longer leash, and that's where I'm at. I'm not saying everybody has to. Yeah, you're 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 right. That's the that's the that's the adult approach. That's the grown up approach, I guess. But these are do or die do or die situations, and these are the moments to me. Like when you as a coach, you're like, this is what we're here for. This is what all the non meetings, non practice, non is these moments where you get to swing the game. And he's like, well, I got these uh these Madden '95 plays here that I could. 
when you had that big build up to like, that's when you get to swing. I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> it is though. It is like watch Belichick. That's when dude's feeling himself. That's when he's enjoying it. When he gets to make those calls, makes those decisions. And instead. <laughs> so when he's swinging that Belichick around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the good news Subway is sandwich, that foot long <laughs> sub <It's> coming out. <laughs> Well, the good news is the sun did come up on Monday, um, and Monday brought us another look at that Raiders team. Watching that Monday night football game, do you guys feel any bit better about the last couple weeks after seeing that? No. Uh, I don't – sorry. Is that too, uh, is that too blunt? Um, I don't I – don't, the Raiders being good doesn't make this Panthers – any better i also don't think the saints are very good what it what it made me feel better about if i'm the panthers is the future of the nfc south because it's like the we're on the other side of the mountaintop like this thing is crumbling real fast and um unless the falcons hire eric Bieniemy to to like rejuvenate matt ryan the what the what the nfc the rest of the nfc south has in the next three years what their 2024 prospects look like are not as good as what the well 2024 is too far away 2022 prospects are like um i I don't think are as good as what the panthers have uh for 2022 obviously barring uh draft picks colin do you have anything to add to that Um, I, I think the, for me, I'll answer a little bit differently. The, the biggest thing that I thought obviously you won't I was, just give a one word answer and then stop talking. No, no, I'm going to answer a little differently. Cause obviously I was, I've been bullish on this team. I've liked this offense, particularly, uh, the, the biggest thing through the first two weeks and the Raiders doesn't really help me with this is, has been the play of Teddy. I mean, as, as critical as I am of Matt rule, I was, I really thought we might have ourselves a, a Jake DeLome on our hands and through two weeks we that we simply don't so hopefully it gets better but that's really been the biggest disappointment and the Raiders being better doesn't help me with that I, I will say the same thing I said about my rule is that it's hard for me to I'm not ready to throw Teddy it, Teddy has been disappointing don't get me wrong he has not been what I thought that he was going to be um, he's been worse than I thought he was going to be but I also think that no OTAs no mini camp truncated training camp New scheme, new head coach, new wide receivers, new tight end. Not enough time with Man Hurts. Like these are these are the things that you got to give him a little bit of a break on. And I'm going to give it to him for two more weeks. And I would, for all the reasons you just said, I would argue that maybe you don't try and immediately shut down your uh, your your offensive centerpiece for a month and a half to to tank the season. But you know, here we go. What about this defense and Phil Snow? I mean. We've been talking about everybody gets a pass. Does does Phil Snow get a pass? <laughs> Everyone gets a pass to Phil year? Snow's defense. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Ask Leonard right. Fournette about the passes. Um, well done. Uh, I mean, uh, how bad does this defense have to be? Well, they're they're testing the limits of that question. <laughs> um, listen, it's just like I like again. I'm going to give them till week four. So next week I may not even talk. I may just just have nothing. I just may just have a sign. I may just hold up a sign to my Zoom square that says "Waiting until Week Four for judgments." But um, listen, man, I, I get it that they ran a three-man front and Tom Brady got the ball out quick and Derek Carr doesn't doesn't hold the ball for very long. But like, 
you're the only team with zero sacks. And I tell you, and, I, and let me tell you, another team played against the Raiders and Derek Carr and how quickly he got the ball out. Another team played against the Bucks and Tom Brady and how quickly he threw the ball. Like, and they got sacks. They got pressure. And I get it. Brian Burns was close, but you got to whatever you got to do to generate some sacks. We knew this defense was going to be bad, and that's kind of the question: is like, can you blame Phil Snow for them starting a rookie corner and Razul Douglas? Like, maybe not. But also, can you blame him for not being able to generate sacks with Derek Brown, uh, not KK Short, not YGM, but Weatherly Burns, uh, Kerr? About like this is a. I mean, they have enough talent up front that they should not be this bad at pass rush and giving up more than thirty-two points a game after two weeks. I don't know how we still have to hear Whitehead in coverage after two weeks. I, I don't know to hear a Whitehead on, on Mike Evans. Like, whoa, how is that ever, 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 ever working out in our favor? So you're not getting to the quarterback, and I've got to watch Mike Evans get covered by to hear Whitehead. This is not a great group. It's not a talented group. It's one of the reasons I said, you know, preseason, you've got to try and take risks. You've got to try and do some things, be dynamic. And to be, to be frank, through two weeks, I don't think they've tried to do be dynamic really at all. And, um, I don't know. I like. I'm willing to give you know Snow the pass that you guys have given everybody, but uh, of if, compared to the way I feel about Brady, I'm thoroughly unimpressed with Phil Snow so far. Agreed. All right, let's let's take a break. When we come back, we're gonna be joined by Joe Person from the Athletic. Joining us now on One Day Contract is Joe Person from the Athletic. Joe, thanks for joining us today. What's going on, guys? Happy to have you here. Are we? Uh, I know you're you're gonna head straight from straight from here to exercising. What do, what do you like to do? What's your What's your plan? So yeah, I was telling Nikki off air that uh, it's my old man exercise day. Tuesday is the Panthers off day, so I go to the Harris YMCA and uh, hit up a little spin class. Oh uh, man, easy on the knees. Uh, this this particular instructor jams some cool like 70s tunes and before you know it you've sweated your way through some eagles uh and some ELO. Joe I want to ask you we'll just jump right into it you were in Tampa this past weekend what was it like at the stadium because it was like I mean obviously it's empty there um were they firing the cannon like did it did it feel like an NFL game I mean obviously Traveling to an away game and then going to an empty stadium seems weird. The whole thing was weird. Um, and I know you were um, – I know you guys saw the Charlotte scene in week one, and that was weird. Tampa was equally weird. I, I remember thinking and maybe this to somebody that here Tom Brady was and all the off-season hype that we heard about for months and months and months, here he is making his Tampa debut in front – 70,000 empty seats and just didn't you know whether you're, you're a fan of the NFL it, that didn't feel right uh, they did have the cannons oddly and that was about the only thing that sort of felt like a regular game in Tampa uh, the cannons coming up. I'd forgotten they were shooting them off after first downs. I didn't remember that being a thing. That maybe, <laughs> maybe they were looking for one extra advantage for for uh, Tom Brady in his home debut. 
In the Jameis era, that's what they would do. Was any sort of completion, just shoot them off. I think <laughs> just got to get some, got to get some hype for it. I did appreciate some stupid penalties from the Buccaneers. Just let us have some normalcy here in 2020. <laughs> got to, got to make some mistakes. I mean, the big, the big matchup: CMC versus Leonard Fournette. With Fournette getting the win there, and then of course Teddy Bridgewater outgaining Tom Brady by 150 yards and beating him in quarterback rating by three, just as we all expected. Absolutely. I think we really do. We should probably rethink the GOAT rankings at some point. Probably like Teddy should be somewhere up there. Let's not throw out the interceptions. They don't even count. Yeah, you can throw them right over the backboard like you did with that screen pass. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's jump right into it, too. I mean, obviously, huge news. Christian McCaffrey, high ankle sprain. Um, Joe, just like right off the bat – what do you think they should do here? Like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of talk. A lot of people are saying, you know, it's time, like just shut them down, put them in bubble wrap, whatever. What, what's your kind of opinion on the situation? Yeah. I don't know that I would go to that extreme. <laughs> yeah, they are in the business of, of trying to win football games and maybe putting some, some fans in the stands. Of course, there'll, there'll be some in week four now that we just learned, but I, I did do a piece today for the athletic that talked about don't be in any hurry. <laughs> you know, that we, we saw this with Cam Newton over the years and, and, and some of that's on the player too, but as a professional training staff, you know, part of your job is to try to protect the player from himself. I mean, it's a tricky deal. I, I, Listen, we all know, I think, that this team, despite Dante Jackson and even McCaffrey's protests, is not going to be a playoff contender. And so I would just – I would give Christian all four to six weeks he needs uh, or or more. I wouldn't shut him down for the year, but – and I would just kind of roll with it. And that's kind of what this year is all about. And uh, I don't – I think they already know what they have in Mike Davis. So you're not really learning much there, but just nevertheless, keep your franchise player as healthy as you can. Yeah. Go ahead, Colin. It seems like you've got. Well, yeah, I'm just curious. Like we have to say, we have to take him at their word that it's a, that it's a high ankle sprain. I mean, it did go from him possibly coming back into the game, getting it taped up to now out for a month and a half. I mean, is that them being careful or is this, is this him trying to be tougher and get back out there for his team? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know whether it's – I don't know whether they're trying to – in my opinion, I think it's better for if they went to him and said, you can't go back in. Like your ankle – just like Joe said, like we're protecting you from yourself. You want to go – I'm sure he did. I'm sure he will come – I'm sure he will come to Matt Rule in two weeks – and say, I'm good, buddy. Like, look, like, what? And do some cuts. Um, and I think it's up to Matt Rule. And I think it'll be kind of Matt Rule's first test, obviously. Uh, having your first offseason during COVID-19 is a huge test. But how he deals with this situation in three weeks when McCaffrey says, I'm ready to come back, and he has to look his, his franchise player in the eye and say, you can't, like, I need you to take either take another week off. Or does he say, yeah, if you think you're ready, then come on back. Because that's what the Panthers have done over the past decade is their star face of the franchise player has dictated when he does and doesn't play. 
ultimately to his detriment. Um, so I, I think that that will be that. That's what I want to keep an eye on over the next five six weeks is who who makes the decision on when Christian McCaffrey comes back. And Joe, what that, part? Go, go sorry. Ahead. Well, I was just saying. And what part does that that record play into that? I mean, does the mindset change week to week as they keep building up L's or? If they win a couple games in there and the rest of the NFC South is not great, does that change the mindset? Well, this is, this is where I'm confused because, Joe, Joe, you said, you know, and, and it, certainly it's the sentiment of most people that this is not a playoff team. I was a little – I've been a late, little late to that revelation, if you will. Um, I believed in this team, particularly in this offense, and I thought we were going to get better quarterback play from, uh, from Teddy Bridgewater than we've gotten through the first two weeks. But if, if this is the mindset of – Hey, it doesn't today. It doesn't matter how long Christian or what Christian's ankle situation actually is. It's we want you out for six weeks. Then that to me is a different mindset than a team that you know I thought could compete because they're not intending to compete. And I think that raises some particular questions in a situation where we don't have fans in the stands because there's a pandemic going on. Yeah, and, and to Nikki's point, too, I mean, could this change if, if they were to upset the Chargers and beat the Cardinals? I, 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 mean, I, guess, what I, I guess what I'd come back to is this isn't, this isn't like a Liz Frank injury that Cam Newton had <laughs> where eventually both sides agreed that's what he had uh, that needed surgery. Like, I, I think, you know, we all know, we've all heard about how these can linger and Certainly Greg Little is testament to that at the end of last year when he had the, the high ankle. So, like, so it's going to take some time. But I think it is a little different that, that we're not looking – Christian McCaffrey's not looking at season-ending surgery. And so, that in mind, I, I absolutely anticipate him playing the second half of the season. And whether that's at week six or week eight – you know, I don't, I don't know. And, and, and it, could, it could depend on how they do over this next stretch. The, the thing that's a real kick in the teeth for Matt Rule, and I know coaches never look at this the way we do, but when that schedule came out in, in April, whatever it was this year, and we looked at it, it was like, you know, that first half, especially the Chargers and the Cardinals and the Falcons, say there's, that, that's the time to make hay, and now you're going to try to do it without Christian McCaffrey. I'll be interested to see what how they adjust the offense to without Christian McCaffrey. Because if they come out on Sunday and they're just running the same play set with Mike Davis with 28 instead of 22, I, I will be uh, disappointed. And, and, I mean, I know you can't change the entire scheme in five days, but at the same time, like, we were sold the, the next great offensive mind is going to be in the booth or on the sidelines, depending on where he is. I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, but it's um, – the guy is like, if he just comes out and runs the same offense, I will be disappointed. I don't know if that we, we don't know what they're going to do, but I, I would like to see some sort of creativity from, from Joe Brady. Now that Chris McCaffrey will not be there for the next six weeks. Sounds like, are you trying to uh, introduce us to a Curtis Samuel segment into this? Uh... I mean, uh, like if, if Curtis is, <laughs> can you go a week? It's like the cam talk of the end of 2019. Like you can't go a, a full week without talking about Curtis Samuel. I mean, the guy does have, uh, what does he have? Like five catches in two weeks and critical to their success. 
is what Joe Brady said? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it helps, of course, that that they've had some pretty good production to believe from Robbie Anderson and, and DJ Moore as well. But um, I, I know you guys have gotten those questions this week. Is, uh, is, does this mean Curtis Samuel is going to have 20 touches a game? No, not exactly. But, you know, I, listen, I understand why, why Pete, you know, you don't want to just give up on a second-round pick who's still young, who's still fast, by all measures would seem to be a, a, the kind of guy who's going to be a playmaker in this league. But it just hasn't happened, at least to the level and to the consistency that I think would potentially match Curtis Samuel's skill set. But – Maybe this is the window for him. I, I, I think more to the point, I think what you said earlier, Josh, I think it's going to be more about Mike Davis getting a whole bunch of touches and Curtis Samuel trying to fit in as he always has. I, I, what about an honest look for Cameron Artis Payne? <laughs> <laughs> got to see what you got. <laughs> uh, I think the thing for Curtis is like, I I also wonder whether it's like the we because he was a second round pick because we've seen every snap that he's taken here and you do see the flashes whether we are just overrating who Curtis Samuel is as a football player because you know the the production over the past few years is yeah he he was open a fair amount last year uh, not a fair amount more than a fair amount and and the quarterback play was holding him back and it was health issues but at a certain point you know. Uh, you, you kind of have to like acquiesce to like, well, maybe this guy just isn't the guy and, and I'm not ready to make that point yet. But you know, if Joe Brady can't figure out what to do with him and I, it's weird to say that about a 30 year old offensive coordinator that's never coached in the league before, but <laughs> if this guy that's never called plays can't call the right ones, then I don't know who can. Well, Curtis Samuel to me is like fourth or fifth on the list though of guys I mean like Joe Brady's trying to do this for the first time like I, it's not surprising to me that he didn't get necessarily to the Curtis Samuel package uh you know and getting everything that he wanted I, I I'm I'm bullish on this of all of anybody I can see on this roster particularly for just throwing this season away after two weeks it's Curtis Samuel let's answer that question for sure I liked how Jonathan Jones, either yesterday or the day before, asked what is it that you'd say Curtis Samuel does in Joe Brady's offense. And Den said, answers Robbie Anderson's sideline questions. Yeah. I got a big kick out of that. And and to be fair to all of us and to all Panther fans, we've seen him running wide open, like you said, Josh. And if you see that, you would like to see what that guy could do if he actually gets the ball thrown to him. So I think it's fair that we have wanted to see that. What do you think? So we've got a two-week sample size, huge sample size of the coaching staff massive, so far. Just massive. definitely, so we should all we should all have opinions. But just like first impressions, I mean, Joe. Obviously, we've been there for training camp and what there is of you know the weird off season that there's been of of this coaching staff and kind of how they're adjusting to life in the NFL so far. Growing pains uh, kind of comes to mind. Um, you know. Nothing egregious. Uh, the the fake punt, of course, we all kind of latched onto that because it, you know it, we all, as you said, we only have two weeks of of data, and so that was pretty bad. Just because you're like, well, wait a minute, you're in a part of the field where Joey Sly, this is well within his range, or at least within his range, and you're punting. Well, it, 
you know, I, I don't think it fooled anybody. Obviously, it didn't fill full bucks, uh, especially. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. That, that to me, wasn't like just a game changer when it comes to, to that rule or that. There are going to be other moments for him like, for, like that for him this year. I mean, he made the decision. Uh, he, and, and, and I'm often reminded about Ron Rivera saying on his first half in 2011, to do it over again, he would have had a Norv Turner. Of course, Norv was hired, was employed at the time. But he would have had a former head coach to help him through the fake punts or the fourth and one to Alex Armand. And Matt Rule could have, and and he chose not to. They, you know, they brought in a couple guys, uh, Mike McCoy, um, McAdoo. I think his rationale, I asked him about it at one of those off-season deals, and he said, you know, I've got a great relationship with Tom Coughlin. And he does, but Tom Coughlin's not on the headset on Sundays. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that was a, bit, a huge miss for him was having somebody more experienced than Phil Snow. Not that, I mean, Phil Snow has a ton of experience, but, all, but as Matt Rule's defensive coordinator is where most of his experience comes from. And it would have been I, – I would have – I would have liked to have seen somebody, even if it is Ben McAdoo, or even bring in Coughlin. Like, I mean, if you like Coughlin so much, Tepper, I'm sure that Tepper would happily have signed a check for a $2 million a year consultant salary. I mean, maybe not, maybe not right now, but, uh, you know, it's like he – bring in that guy if you like him so much. Joe, you said a lot of people have latched on. I, too, have latched on uh, to, this, to this fake punt because – Everyone in the building, which is not that many people, but literally the Panthers radio crew was calling out that something is off here. And a week after, you have a fourth down, we'll say debacle, just for the sake of moving along, a fourth down debacle. And then you as the head coach come out and say, that's on me. This is my decision. And then the very next week, you have a situation like this. And do you keep your talented offense? Do you keep your talented franchise player on the field? No, no you end up calling a play that's akin to me mashing buttons while I'm frustrated down two scores on Madden and accidentally hitting fake punt. That's what you came up with. And, and it's like, if you want to be held accountable, Hey, I'm the head coach. I'm the big dog. I'm the guy. And then the very next week, that's what you got for me. It's not exactly inspiring. They just got to get, he's got to learn from the, that's the, that's the big thing. We've been saying it for all years. They can be successful if he's learning from these mistakes, but if you make them two weeks in a row, it's not, it doesn't bode well, but again, you don't, you don't, you don't let cornerbacks make mistakes two weeks in a row. And we got a head coach here for seven years. That's getting to make these mistakes. Maybe seven years. <laughs> Joe, let me ask you this. How would you so far compare the beginning of this rule tenure with the beginning of the Ron Rivera era? Wow, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, Cam and Ron is, were sort of just always going to be interchangeably linked. And I don't feel that way about Rule and, and Bridgewater. I, I feel a little bit more about it with Joe Brady and Bridgewater. Uh, the Saints connection, and this was the guy who went Bridgewater was traded to New Orleans. It was Joe Brady who brought him up to speed with the offense and, you know, that, that whole storyline. Um, 
Rivera, Rivera came, and, and they both came to this job with um, different credentials, uh, but, 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 but certainly, you know, qualified credentials. But Ron had the grinder mentality as a player. You know, we all knew that narrative where he was, he backed up um, Mike Singletary in Chicago as a player. He waited his turn. He eventually became a starter. Uh, he then was the grinder on the defensive staff with the Eagles uh, under Andy Reid and works his way up, widely respected in the league circles, widely respected among players. Matt rules the opposite. Matt, Matt, Matt rules creds, his steep street creds, if you will, came on the college side, very obviously. And so I think uh, the, the NFL community, I mean, when you talk to, to people, you know, guys who former players for instance i've had more than a couple of them say yeah i don't know how that college act is going to play but and and i think and to josh's point about learning and this and matt and, and rule evolving i think that's going to be part of too, the motivational tactics i think he's going to learn at some point what works and what doesn't work with professional athletes who are not on scholarship, but are, you know, looking for their next sixty-four million dollar deal, and it, and it's going to be a process. I hate that term, but it, it is going to to take some time. But that's a good question. I, I don't know that I answered it all that well. Uh, two different dudes, though, for sure, with Ron and Rule. I think after the first season, both uh, one thing they'll have in common both years: the offensive coordinator will be more sought after than the head coach. Good. Uh, I wonder. I do wonder if the. I, I I wonder if rule will be given that long of a leash to uh, to evolve, um, because I think that David Tepper is one of those guys that he is. He will preach patience, and he has said, you know, we have to tear things down to rebuild them, and these things take time. And Rome wasn't built in a day. But at the same time, he doesn't really strike me as the most patient boss in the world. And he has talked a lot about how he doesn't like to lose and it keeps him up at night. And, you know, I'd imagine he's going to be having a fair amount of sleepless Sundays this year. And then if we go into next year and there's like a, a young quarterback and there, and again, things start going wrong. I, that's, that's my biggest fear is that, or not my biggest fear. Uh, bees are Snakes. my biggest fear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> being attacked by a police dog uh, when I'm not guilty. Um, I, I was I had an assembly at when I was in middle school and they put they had the guy that was given an example and he put on this big thing on his arm and then the other police officer like sicked a dog on the guy's arm and he like latched onto the arm. I was like seven years old, like why are why is this happening at school? What's happening? <laughs> Scared straight program. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've stopped stealing gumballs, didn't you? <laughs> that's right. No felonies for this guy. Um, but, yeah, that's my, that's my fear is that this won't, like, that at a certain point, Tepper will just be like, you know what? I can't do it. Like, you're not bringing along fields fast enough. You're gone. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think there's any question. Meanwhile, my police dog is. There he is. Like, into the frame here. So sorry for Tug, uh, <laughs> na named after Tug McGraw. For nice. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, look, listen, the seven-year contract was fun to talk about, and 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 you know, and it, and it did make a point. But nobody's getting a seven-year contract if you're not winning in this league, and Matt Rule included. Yeah, no one's getting seven years to to play it out. Before we before you get to rule, we assume that if this goes sideways or continues to go sideways or down or whichever direction it's it's heading currently, uh, that's not up. Um, do you think that they that Tepper has his some eyes on someone in the front office to to be his leader? Because obviously, um, Herney's still a, a holdover. So, is there somebody that you think might be out there? I don't get that impression, Colin. I think you know. I know there was a lot of rumblings about Kevin Colbert uh, in Pittsburgh. I mean, heck, he's about the same age as Herney, so I don't, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Um, nor do I think that um, Patrick Stewart, who they hired as their, their pro personnel, I don't think he's quite ready yet. It, you know, if, if we're going to work under the assumption that this could be Marty Herney's last year, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that Stewart's quite ready to handle that. So, there, you know, he, he's probably, he's a, you know, Tapper's a smart dude. He probably does have a list, but I don't, I don't know that there's this like one guy that he's, you know, do, first of all, is, is Tepper on himself on that list? Could he, we have a Jerry Jones situation? No, sorry. Uh, that's, that's not a real question. Um, real topic though. Uh, do you think that there is blink, a please blink into the camera twice, Joe, <laughs> if it's actually a possibility? Well, I mean, I will say that, and this is a story that kind of I wrote it back or sort of the beginning of quarantine, so it kind of got lost. But you know, there I had a number of people tell me that the Ron Rivera switching to a three-four came at the strong suggestion of the owner. Uh, you know, Ron could have said no, I guess. And I don't think it was like, do this or you're fired. But it did suggest a level of meddling that, um, you know, I'm not Jerry Jones-ish, but <laughs> on that side of the spectrum. Yeah, I also, I same as Joe, I had heard that, and I just hadn't heard it quite enough to, like, from enough people. But, yeah, I had also heard that the 3-4 came from from way way up there and uh user one yeah and it's and it's like well they ran it in pittsburgh so it must have been successful uh but in my in in my mind and i think i may have asked tepper at one of those like uh after season like after the first season like how involved are you in the in football and he was like no no, no i've you know i'll weigh in on the big decisions and it's like well i guess switching defenses would be a good decision but um my uh, the We'll we'll get you out of here on this one, Joe, because I know you got to go. But um, is my dog would like to stay? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's what are his thoughts on Phil Snow? <laughs> um, is uh, you take this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think that there is a is a scenario that happens in this season where Marty Herney gets his contract extended? Yeah, I guess there is. Um, here's 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 what could happen though: is if this team continues to go down the, this path of that ends at four wins or three wins, 
even with the whole rebuild uh, mantra that we've all been, you know, kind of preaching or, or writing and talking about, even with all that, you know, there's there might the public might want its pound of flesh, and it's not going to be Joe Brady. Could be Phil Snow, I guess, but Marty Herney seems like the guy that would be most easy to get rid of since he's the lame duck general manager. And so, I, I, yeah, I, I do think they could, I, I know, I, I think we all know, we've heard Tepper enough, and I think he's, he's sincere when he says he likes and he respects and he trusts Marty's judgment. But, again, this is also a deal where <laughs> no, no matter how big the rebuild or how many times you, you want to say it, it's still a win-loss business. And if this team goes 3-13, and 13, they're going to have to make some changes. Does the, does, the, does the perception get worse if the quarterback in Boston does, has a really good season and stays healthy? Probably so, right? I mean, I mean that's going to be a storyline for as long as Cam is healthy and playing well. And it's – it's not going away, and uh, I'm sure the Panthers – yeah, I'm sure Marty Herney and Rule are just sort of like turning – you know, avert, averting their gaze when the Sports Center highlights come uh, so. I know a lot of people have been focused on the Cam thing. I, I have a, another personnel question, but Josh, Joe, between the two of you, um, I watched a kicker make a 53-yarder and then a 58-yarder and then another 58-yarder, and I just want to know – um, who do we blame for not having that guy on this roster anymore? Marty. I mean, Damn it, Marty. Mar <laughs> I haven't cared, I haven't cared more about a kicker in my entire fandom than I did watching that. That was the most impressive thing I've ever seen a kicker do. You know, not that speaking of caring, not that any of your, your listeners are going to care about this, but I had this weird connection to Harrison Bucker I, in, Years ago in, in, in Atlanta, our first house we ever bought, we lived right across the street from Harrison Butker's grandparents. And so uh, when, they, when they drafted him, I, and I'd lost track of the family, and they drafted this kid, Butker, from Atlanta, and I said, it's got to be the same family. And so I got in touch. I, I ended up getting a hold of the – I reconnected with his with the neighbors and the grandparents. And it was kind of cool for, like, the three months he was on the Panthers <laughs> roster. <laughs> Before going on to become the best kicker in the league. He's something. Well, and then we remember, too, it wasn't just that. It was sort of – it coincided with them extending Graham Gano. Mm-hmm. And having two kickers on the roster for a for a week, and then uh, yeah, that was a that was that was not Marty's best finest hour. Not that he's had a ton of fine hours since in two point But what do you guys think about them? You know, sort of very obviously wanting to keep an emergency kicker on the practice squad. It must be COVID related, right? Like just in case Joey Sly, because that makes a ton of sense. If Joey Sly, if if it's all the other positions can be kind of can you can you can fudge somebody you know like if pj walker gets it will greer could step in if a guard gets it you move a tackle over but if joey sly gets COVID 19 on saturday and you don't have a guy on the roster like or even on the practice squad like you're i mean it's joe charlton's kicking stuff out of he's he's hitting the press box window 
Well, it's really basically for kickoffs because you're not going to have any trust in the guy. So you wouldn't kick, you know, maybe you would if you didn't care because you're, you know, whatever with the season anyways. But it's really like you don't want to have your one of your safeties kicking off to the to the 40 or something and looking looking the fool. Put Jeremy Chin out there. He can take handoffs on the punts. He can kick it (laughs) off. I say get Alex Arma a shot. There you go. Get him an honest look. There you go. Perfect. Joe, we know you've got to run. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet and World Wide Webs. Thank you for asking. It's at Joseph, at Joseph Twitter. At Joseph <laughs> Person on Twitter. Um, and then theathletic.com. We are running a dollar a month special. Just think about that. You can't get even crappy coffee for a dollar. But you can get the athletic subscription. And Joe's writing. <laughs> goodbye, buddy. Say goodbye. Can you see him? I'm Bye, waving to the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here, Joe. We'll thanks, be right Joe. back. Hey, guys. Josh Klein here. You probably recognize my dulcet tones from the podcast that you're listening to, but I wanted to break in for just one second and encourage you to check out Roaring Riot's home gating boxes. If you can't go to Panthers away games, if you don't want to go to a bar, and let's face it, it's 2020, you may not want to be surrounded by people. I totally get that. The Roaring Riot, we've put together these fantastic alternatives to going out, and you can stay at home and have a tailgate experience right there in the comfort of your own home. They've got virtual cocktail classes, virtual cooking classes, exclusive recipes from restaurants like Fahrenheit, Chef Alyssa's Kitchen, The Nappy Chef, uh, Southern Science, just great, great stuff. And then every single box comes with exclusive swag that's only available in those Roaring Riot home gate boxes. We just sent out the LA box, and I'm telling you, it's like every time I would I would look inside, I was like, man, there this stuff is dope. It's like a shaker, rocks glasses, shot glasses, uh, a custom license plate. There's playing cards in there. It's just like all this cool stuff. So you open it. It's like a nice little surprise Thursday, Friday, Wednesday of game week it it gets there you scan the qr code you see a cool recipe you go out shopping you can make some uh, cocktails you can make some delicious food it just like it makes your sunday better and and that's what the roaring riot is all about so i would encourage everybody go to roaringriot.com click on home gating at the top of the at the top of the page and uh enjoy check it out but for now back to one day contract game time who is ready to play risers and fallers I like that risers and fallers. That's fun. I like the way that Colin described it. Is it is it the, is that the British version of shoots and ladders? Is that what we got going on here? I thought, <laughs> it, was stacked, thought it was stack up, stack down. Wait, Tubes so and blimeys. I think those are all trademarked. I don't think we were allowed to use it. We had to come up with something else. <laughs> Call it tubes and blimeys. <laughs> so let's start first with the positive, maybe. Whose stock has gone up over the past two weeks? For me, this this answer is pretty easy. It's it's Joe Brady. I really like the way that they have gotten the ball, you know, to a bunch of different guys. I think they've done a good uh, good job of getting the important guys involved quickly, early in in the process. And so, for a first year guy, I've been encouraged by Joe Brady. Um, I have got how many of these are we going to do, Colin? Are you out of stock of of risers? I always got more stacks. Yeah, all right. I got a stack that's going up like freaking Tesla over here. It's uh, 
Let me tell you about a little bit. It's it's dollar sign R-B-B-Y. It's going through the roof right now. This was much more than I expected for Robbie Anderson. I got his earnings report after two weeks, and it's incredible. It's paying dividends. I don't know who this is, but uh, I, I've been really impressed with Robbie Anderson. It's much better, much more than I thought he was going to do. I thought he was just going to be a guy that takes the roof off the building, takes the top off the defense. But what he's been doing, he's been playing, he's been running all the routes, and Joe Brady's really been loving him. And the connection that Teddy and Robbie have, I do wonder if they formed that while they were together in Miami doing the work during the offseason. You know, you got two guys on the front defensive line. You you got first round picks, and who's out there making a difference? Who is it the blue chip stock? No. It's the You talking about that president? The I'm president? Talking, I'm talking about Stephen Weatherly. Oh. Stephen Weatherly out there making plays. Hey, Brian Burns, you want to make a play? Big fella. Hey, you want to make a play before the whistle? Weatherly's making plays. Hey, how about up Stephen Weatherly? We talk about defense. We talk about defensive line. How about if I? How about if can I invoke the name of our of our of our uh, one of our forefathers, President Woodrow Hamilton the Fourth? Elevated, elevated to the active roster on Saturday, and I've really devolved into some sort of Roger Rabbit voice. <laughs> Woodrow Hamilton had a nice game. Stock up. <laughs> what in the name of Ryan Delaire is going on around here? I've completely lost control of everything. <laughs> Do you have this any This is more? what Matt Rule's coaching has done to me, though. <laughs> I blame Matt Rule for all of this. I was in a good mood, and then you decided to just mash the B button and run into the, into the interior moves. of the line on fourth down. Spin move, spin move, spin move, spin move. Any other risers you want to shout out? Jeremy Chin. I mean, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's been really good on defense. But, um, uh, I mean, I like he has lived up to expectations, and he has been their best draft pick. And he was their third draft pick. Not that it's not really YGN's fault, although he was not good week one. So, sorry if you're listening. One other stock I'm looking at, I got to tell you right oh, now, a bounce-back performance from Pharaoh Cooper. Okay. That's it. No, you just want to throw that in there. Get the accent back out. No details. I'm just no details it. given. Look, you know, he, did, he returned week one. They didn't kick it to him week two. They said, ah, look, he's not that important. We'll kick at him week three. And then he's going to get some returns. Oh, Bounce so it's a stock. Okay. Cool. All right. So it's an up and down stock, like a Tesla. Tesla. <laughs> like a Beyond Meat. All right, let's follow uh, me for stock tips at Josh Klein Rules. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. All right, now for the, the not so good news. Whose stock has gone down? Um <laughs> the Carolina Panthers? Uh no. Um I I mean there there are there are a lot of people that should, that can be on this list. Uh but for me the the Top of the list, the bottom of the list, the guy that has uh, disappointed me the most is Teddy Bridgewater. It's just I did I thought he was going to be better, and there's only so much that I can see from him from a leadership standpoint and from a uh, and from an off the field standpoint before I need to see it on the field. And I, and it's fine. I'm willing to accept 
the issues that may come with a, a game manager like Teddy Bridgewater, where, you know, he is not going, he's going to miss Robbie Anderson on a drive route open. Sometimes he's going to, he's going to take the, the 15 route, the 15 yard dig instead of trying to hit Zilstra on the post. Um, and that's fine. I'm willing to accept those things, but I'm not willing to accept three turnovers. Uh, and I'm not willing to accept, um, just inaccurate passing in the short to medium range. Cause that is not what Teddy Bridgewater is supposed to be. Now, that being said, uh, I gave everybody else a four week pass and you may have to give him a little bit of a pass. He didn't have a preseason either. He didn't get a chance to, to adjust the speed of the, of real NFL with DJ Moore and see what, you know, see what DJ is like out there and how he likes to run routes and where he likes to settle in on zone coverage. But at the same time, um, He's been bad. I mean, they lost that game essentially because of him on Sunday. Um, Stock down for me. We've touched on it a little bit. I won't go into everything, but it's Matt Rule. Um, Another week, we had another uh, dumb penalty by a first-round pick. And I'm not not saying he can control that stuff, but these are the types of things, you know, you had with DJ Moore last week. You got Derek Brown this week. You had the fourth down calls. Uh, I'm just – I am not impressed by the package. Uh, that I think Matt Rule is bringing. It, this is two games. I think it's been two winnable games. We talked about how the Bucks were not great. Raiders, not great. I think they – I would have liked to have seen them be more uh, dynamic, try and do some things, because I think what Teddy Bridgewater is missing is those moments, those moments that, you know, those fourth down completions, those – you kind of – you can get those that confidence because the numbers have been good for Robbie Anderson, for DJ Moore, um, and, but Bridgewater's been underperforming, but I think it all comes. I think it all comes down to rule, and I think it comes down to the approach to this season, which I'm still not. I'm still not convinced that we're we're being honest about. I I have questions um, that I think Matt Rule is going to answer over the next six months, and that is to me is are the questions that need answering more than the can he adjust to calling the right plays on fourth down and making the right decisions on. Uh, play calling and and you know who's going to be up on game day it's going to be how he handles this Christian McCaffrey injury and what he does with his coaching staff after the season is over if there are guys who underperform and he brought them along from Baylor or Temple or college roommate or wherever he brought them along from these are all guys that are very close to Matt Rule and if he is not willing to make those kind of hard decisions. It's going to be, uh, he's, he's going to have to take the, the blame for it. And so if he, you know, Phil snow has been with Matt rule at every single step of his head coaching career. And we just talked about um, what Phil has been like for the first few weeks. And again, 14 weeks left in the season, 15 weeks left in the season, a lot of things can change, but if he has to make hard decisions, is he prepared to make those decisions? And I, I don't know. Those are the questions that I need answering. Those are the I, questions I need answered. I understand what you're saying about rule, about bigger picture, all of that stuff. To me, if you're going to be a leader of men, then your word has to mean something. And you don't get to go out there and say, hey, put that on me. I'm going to be in charge of this decision. This is a big time decision for me. And then come out and have such a horrendous decision as you did in the very next game. And your guys not notice it. That can't be a trend. 
It, we've, we've talked preseason about Matt Rule and the, the comments he's made, ill-timed about Cam, about Gano, all this stuff. This is the culture that you're building. Whether or not you think that you're putting everything on pause until you get the quarterback of your dreams, but this right now is the culture that Matt Rule is creating in Carolina, and we'll see how, how it plays out this season. But, I, again, I'm, I'm not encouraged. I need some sort of positivity to end this show. What do you got? Give me should, something. Should we do silly voices again? Let me tell you a little something <laughs> about what I need to see from Curtis Samuel in week three. You can't, you can't be the critical to this Joe Brady offense, and you can't be a huge crux of what the Carolina Panthers are going to be in the future if the most dynamic player on the offense gets hurt and then you can't step up and have a big impact. So, Curtis Samuel, I got my eyes on you. This is Tony Baloney. It's my new character. And it's a guy that has eyes on, on players that he needs to see have big games. And let me tell you something, Dennis Daly. I'd like to see you come back too. Is that, uh, you know, like, let's get out there because I, uh, Michael Schofield has been less than impressive. Knocked <laughs> down. I just love that you finally named the character because I, I, wanted, I wanted to hear more of a background of this character you've now developed. It's Tony. <laughs> Tony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash Tony Baloney with B-O-L-O-G-N-A. And uh, it's actually Tony Baloney uh, 227 because uh, Tony Baloney 1 through 226 was filled. And, um, and I love that show, 227. And uh, follow my friend Josh Klein at Josh Klein Rules. Joe Person has reported that this was the actual audio Matt Rule was listening to when he made the fourth down call. <laughs> It all makes sense now. It all makes sense. It was weird. They didn't want me to come on the show when Joe was here because he's too he's too well respected to have Tony Baloney be on the show at the same time as Joseph Person, or maybe Tony, we're the same person. Did you Tony, when, when you're Tony, when you're at the game, are you up in the booth or are you on the sideline? I flirt between both. I kind of flitter and I flutter. I do a little bit of both. Sometimes I'm in the suite. He's usually carrying around a thing of beer going, ice cold bear. <laughs> and bologna sandwiches. I like them. It's weird. It's in my name, but I also like the sandwich. This has got – is this uh, – we're not recording this part of the show, though, right? Like, this part is not going <laughs> out on the airwaves. Again, podcaster of the year. He, oh, he just boy, never ceases was... to amaze us. So embarrassing. This is the part where this is the stuff that we get tweeted out about. <laughs> <laughs> Colin, where can they uh, send their thoughts to you on Twitter? At Colin CLT. And I am Nikki704. Any final thoughts? Josh, you have anything you need to plug for the. Yeah, RR? check out the. Uh, if you're in town this weekend in Charlotte, the final week at the Coin Bar pool party uh, has been super fun, socially distanced. Uh, their capacity is about 450, and Roaring Ride has had about uh, between 100 and 110 people there every day, every week, and it's been super fun. Uh, and just kind of like a, uh, it feels like a relief um, from the hellscape that has been 2020, uh, a little bit of uh, normalcy 
for three hours to watch watch football, be around people, even though you know masks, everybody's wearing masks and being safe, but you are around, but it's also outside. Everything has been, uh, it has been taken care of to be as safe as physically possible in 2020 during a global pandemic. And, uh, and it's been, it's been nice to, uh, to, to feel normal again. If you can't go to Tampa and hear the cannons, uh, fired. And if you're not going to LA to stand outside of SoFi stadium and try to see the TV from outside, um, roaringriot.com. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I've been there the past couple of weeks and I've had a great time. It, like you said, it feels great to feel normal for a few hours and, um, you guys have done a really good job with the setup and just keeping everyone safe. And um, if, if you guys need something to do this weekend, come hang out with us and we'll feel like family for three hours and we'll either cheers to a victory or drink to a loss. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully maybe that first W. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network. Joe Person's One Day Contract is up. Everyone else, we'll see you That's next great. week. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplanes. Hi. <laughs> Hello.